Bonjour, hello, and happy Victory Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Pick of the Blitz podcast hosted live on the Locker Room app, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm Justin Heyer, here with Nick Pilato, and presumably, uh, we believe, in a, in a few minutes, our co-host Trevor is going to be jumping on as well. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely save some good stuff for him. But until then, we're going to be talking... And... Yeah. What? You said and? I thought you, I thought you were about to jump in. No, I said eh. I, like, oh. eh, you know. Maybe we'll um, save some stuff for him. We'll see. Uh, until then, we're talking Miami's week 10, fifth win in a row. This one coming at the expense of the Los Angeles Chargers and Tua's presumably forever rival uh, in, in Justin Herbert, considering uh, their draft stocks when we talked about uh, on the Friday show when we were previewing this game. Lots, as always, to unpack from this from this particular contest. And, of course, as always, Nick, I'm deferring to you right off the bat. Your key takeaways, highlights, lowlights, your favorite moments from the game. This defense is for real. That's my takeaway. I think that's the biggest takeaway you can you can take away. That the offense didn't look great yesterday, but this defense, I think, is a legit good defense. And it's only going to get better when they add more draft assets in the coming years. That's my first initial takeaway is this defense is good. It is good. And what I what I love most about this defense and the way the way Flores is operating this unit in particular, is that I feel as though, save for Emmanuel Ogba and Xavier Howard, I feel as though every single game we're getting something from someone new. It's, it's, it's yep. very it, – I, I don't want to call it Belichickian because I hate, I hate to draw direct comparisons from anyone to Bill Belichick, but what I will say and I see – where I will say I see similarities is that Bill Belichick, year in and year out, would take new players – plug them into spots that other successful players had, and they would operate in a very similar fashion. And what we're seeing this week is, like, so just take for an example, Christian Wilkins on the reserve COVID list due to close contact or, you know, whatever reason he's on that list, couldn't play. Raekwon Davis, right. rookie second round pick, comes in, and he is he was pretty much Miami's best defensive lineman in this game, save for Emmanuel Ogba, because Ogba has been the perennial leader of that entire unit. But he was getting tackles left and right. He made like four or five what they call like advanced metric defensive stops when you have like a mm-hmm. run stop. Uh, like he, w- he was a real serious contributor in this game. And I know, I know the, the run defense wasn't perfect, but it wasn't like the Chargers were averaging like four and a half or five yards a carry. It was like it under was, four yards a carry. Yeah, it was um, better than what you've seen the last few weeks. And I think that's important too because you're seeing improvement. Exactly. And everyone was like, oh my God, Kalen Barrage is like thrashing the Dolphins. No, Kalen Barrage got like, 25 carries and he churned out like three and a half yards a carry. So that piles up to a lot of yards, but it wasn't like he was some efficient right. monster for the He wasn't, he wasn't destroying the, the team. No, no. And you know what? For Kalen Bellage, that's doubling his previous success in Miami. So I guess, <laughs> I guess by comparison. Yes, we, all, comparison, we all are well aware of the um, yeah, love we've, of Kalen We've ratted on Kalen Bellage quite a bit on the show. Okay, so defense, absolutely. It was nice to see Xavier Howard get, get another pick. Andrew Van Ginkle now coming in, contributing on special teams and on defense, getting blocked kicks, getting tackles for loss. He was everywhere, too. Um, what else highlights from this game? Yeah, I, I, you know, and this team just plays tough. You know, that there are a couple times when on, 
you know, it, it's unfortunate the way fourth, fourth downs, fourth and shorts work because the team that played yesterday against those fourth and short conversions that the Chargers ended up getting, I mean, goodness, it was a game of inches. Like, this is a team that plays hard. This is a team that fights defensively to keep every yard in front of them. I think it's just such a, a cohesive unit on that side of the ball. But I also think that this is, you know, and this is the, probably the first time in a very long time that I'm able to say this. This team plays the best complementary football I think that you have seen out of Miami in, in a decade plus, you know, and, and you can win the game with various units of your team. You don't need everything to be firing on all cylinders to win a football game anymore. And that's different. That's different than what we're used to. You know, the offense, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, I'm sure, but the offense was not good yesterday. It was not good. And But the special teams, the defense, picked them up. And that's something, again, you you have not seen that in Miami for 15 years, where if one unit struggles, the others can pick them up and can play well enough to make it so that they don't lose football games. It's incredible because when everything is clicking, that this team is going to be exceptionally dangerous. Yeah, the offense uh, the, yeah, the offense certainly wasn't playing fantastic football, and, and I want to get to that more for sure in a minute. But you're right, the complementary nature of this team, the fact that they can win so many different ways is something, yeah. we, like you said, we haven't seen out of Miami in so long. And what the other, the other outcome from this game that I feel is that we haven't seen – from Miami in so long is the ability to the ability to be consistently and, and I hate I hate to take your words there but consistently play complementary football and not not fall into traps. Yeah. The, this was the perfect example of Dolphins games in years past that you would label a trap game because the Dolphins coming off a high of a win in Arizona would take on an opponent whether home or away in the Chargers that is two and six, but probably better than the record and could actually fight a little bit. And they would fall in a game like this. They'd make uncharacteristic mistakes. They would rack up bunches of penalties. They would throw the game away at the end, or there'd be bad bad play calling. There'd be some form of reason that the Dolphins wouldn't close out this game. But from minute one, they looked like the more dominant team in this game. From the minute of that block punt, the Chargers put together a drive or two, and at the end of the game, the Dolphins were trading yards for clock, but uh, they looked totally in control the entire game. And if Ted Karras hadn't been too sweaty, this game would have been a total blowout. That's, total that blowout. Is a, that is a disgusting adjective to use in this scenario. Just, <laughs> that's just the gross. adjective he used on the press conference. Yeah, I, I get it. Just gross. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It would have been a blowout, but this is, you know— it's funny you bring up the idea of the trap game because I think offensively we were falling into the trap a little bit. It's just the defense and the special teams were able to pull you out of that because this was probably, of all the games we've watched this year, I think this was the game where we had the most sloppy play outside of the first one, which I think doesn't count because it's the first game for everyone. This was a pretty sloppy game on the offensive side of the ball. You had a couple of penalties. You had the fumble. You had Tua should have thrown probably two interceptions. He got lucky a couple times. So, like, this is – it's it was a it was not the greatest game offensively, but again, it lends itself to that complimentary football where it doesn't have to be perfect. Tua didn't have to be perfect yesterday. He just had to not wreck the game, and and he didn't. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't elite yesterday either, and I think that's important no. to say. Is he's he's really only ever been good once in this three game winning streak, right? The rest of those games have been game manager type games, and I'm not. I'm not knocking him because he didn't have to do more, but he was not by any stretch of the imagination elite yesterday. 
And no. I counted three moments where there should have been interceptions and he just got lucky. Yeah, there was the tip ball. There was the magician uh, play. I don't even know what the heck that was. I, man. I, no, I, I don't know how the tight end after. I don't know if it was Shaheen or Smythe, but whoever caught that afterwards, I like that took immense concentration because that ball looked like it was going the other way. It looked like it was yeah. potentially going for six the other way. Um, the whoever that was, it literally looked like it teleported yeah, through that, that guy's hands. Was that Perryman? Was that Denzel Perryman? I don't even remember who. Yes, it was, it was Perryman. Yeah. Who, who sh- yeah. And I think it was Perriman who had who missed the tipped ball uh, interception as well. He was definitely on one of those two. So thank God their linebackers can't catch because there should have been. <laughs> and then there was a, a pass in the into the end zone where uh, he, he threw it into double coverage and the defenders got a yes. couple hands on it. That should have been intercepted. So Tua got very lucky yesterday. But you know what? Sometimes your your team is is playing well enough that you don't have to worry about those kind of things. He does need yes, to Yes, and it's not like he played like horribly, that. though. No, he didn't play horribly, but he also, like, that stat line could have gone south very quickly, right? Because everyone, we always Fair. look at the stat lines, right? That's that's how people judge quarterbacks, right? And if if we're being fair, we have to judge a little bit more on the, the things that also didn't happen if we're going to judge on the things that did. And Tua got lucky, and he needs to clean that up if he's going to if he's gonna consistently uh, play at a high level and play at that elite level that we want him to play at. You know, but you can't, really you can't like. throw that ball to that linebacker, period. That, no, that's that's 100% true. That, but, you know, I think part of that is, and I'm not I'm trying to make excuses, part of that is being a rookie, right? Not necessarily yeah, seeing 100%. coverages that you will see eventually uh, as, you, as you play the game more often. And I'm sure Ryan Fitzpatrick, as soon as he got to the sideline and said, here's where you missed, here's what you should have seen, here's where the defender was and you should have called him out. But you know, th- those are things I think I think he will continue to clean up. What I did like, though, from the offense in particular, was the fact that there were players in this game that I think I think I can- there's at least three different players in this game who had their most contributions of any game in the season. The obvious one is Salvan Ahmed, and I, I know, think. yeah, I know Trevor wants to talk about him for sure. So save that for a sec till hopefully when he jumps on. But the other two that I really like to see were Jakeem and Malcolm Perry, both. Not necessarily. I mean, the whole offense as a whole didn't uh, rack up gaudy yardage numbers. But Shaquem Grant caught, I think, four passes for 45-ish yards and a touchdown. I did not expect, I'll be the first to say, I did not expect Shaquem Grant to be the person to step up in Preston Williams' absence. And now Shaquem Grant, I will clarify by saying, is not Preston Williams. He's like a full foot shorter and does (laughs) not provide the same threat. And I'm not exaggerating. He's like a full foot shorter. And he does not provide the same threat that Preston Williams does. But he was moving the chains, and he scored a touchdown. And the other one in Malcolm Perry, Malcolm Perry, when he gets the ball in his hands, uh, he makes some moves. The guy is fast. He is yes, really he, is. he will run to one side of the field, and then he'll run all the way back to the other side of the field before half the defense could get there, um, which provided the Dolphins with, I think, two different explosive plays at, at different moments. He also had a handoff, by the way. I'll compare it a handoff to, uh, to I think, Salvan Ahmed at some point. Um, he did. But to, to see that is certainly certainly cool. To see Chan Gailey bringing in other guys when the Dolphins are down weapons uh, and making use of them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, to your point about Jakeem Grant, I also was very uh, low on Jakeem Grant. Uh, and that's not a hype joke, but it could be uh, misconstrued as one. Um, I was very low on Jakeem Grant. I thought that he was going to help, but I didn't think he would, you know, do what he did. That was incredible. 
um, you know, really making the plays when he needed to make the plays. Malcolm Perry is fun. Uh, I would like to see him more involved. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think Shane Gailey is good at at bringing in those guys to to fill in the holes on the offense. That being said, I do want to be critical of Shane Gailey because I do think some of the play calling in the in the second half when the Dolphins are up was not not necessarily the greatest. You know, we kind of saw the Dolphins slip back into that uh, that you know coast mode that I hate so much. Um, where, you know, three running plays in a row, you miss the first down, you let the Chargers have another drive to potentially score a touchdown get, and close on, on the score. Um, so I, I do have to be critical for him or of him in a, for a little bit. But, yeah, I think you're right. In terms of bringing those players in, I think he, he did, he's done a really good job of that throughout the whole year, not just yesterday. Yeah, the coast mode that frustrated me most, I think, was the last drive of the first half. So Dolphins had the ball at about the – 45 of their own 45 or maybe 50 and there were 40 seconds left on the clock and Shane Gilly ran a run or not. He certainly didn't run the run, but he called the run <laughs> right up the middle. And I was, I was thinking, like, what are you doing? You have 40 seconds left yep. on the clock. You have one timeout and you are at the 50. You have Tua who at several times throughout this game and the Cardinals game, sure that he can get you 25, 30 yard chunk plays, roll him out. And if there's nothing there, have him throw it away. Like, why are you running up the middle for four yards? What is that? I mean, uh, that, that really frustrated me. From getting, so he has shown a tendency at times, especially when the Dolphins are up, to be more conservative. I think there are a variety of factors that play into that. The defense playing well being one, Tua being a rookie playing being another, and maybe just Chan Gailey being a bit more on the conservative side as a play caller than, than we totally like. But hopefully that evolves as Tua evolves. Going forward, I think it, it certainly could. And the next three games, Broncos with potentially bet Brett Ripien at quarterback because Locke is hurt, and then yes. the Jets and Bengals, those are three games to test out some more aggressive play calling because, you know, knock on wood, uh, the Dolphins should comfortably be able to handle all three opponents. So uh, this, is a, this is the time to let Tua really have some fun, throw it downfield, test some more aggressive play calling. Sure, I agree, and I think I think that's what we we need to see from this offense because like, I think that's the one dimension of the game that is not um, even close to fleshed out yet. Is we need to see more shots taken downfield, and I'm talking like downfield, not these little, you know, uh, not to speak ill of them, but those twenty yard kind of down the, in the middle of the defense plays to guys like Parker, Williams, and Gasicki. We need to see some deep shots. We need to see that accuracy. And we saw it yesterday a little bit, right, when Tua avoided that sack and started rolling Mm -hmm. out to his right and he threw that ball. That was actually a ball where if Jakeem Grant was slightly taller than he was, he may have actually gotten to it. Um, But we need to see more of that because what's going to happen is is if we become too – because you're not going to get that out of the running game, I think, every week because I just don't think the running game is that effective. Right. Yet. I think it can be with the right personnel. I just don't know if we have the right personnel. Ahmed is playing well. Gaskin has been playing well. I just don't know. You don't have that game changing running back on this roster. There isn't one. Um, So you don't want to fall into into that situation where you're becoming one dimensional in the types of passes that you're running. We have to see some shots taken downfield. And you know what? You gotta you you gotta get your rookie throwing those balls early. You gotta get him taking those shots. Worst case scenario, he throws an interception. You get the ball back with that great defense, and you keep it short again. But you gotta start taking those shots. And Tua will. You saw it with the when he yeah uh, exactly when that the the first botch snap that went low, and then pick yeah. it up, and then immediately bam, chucks it downfield to his 
you know, really tall, six foot four ish Devontae Parker, who he trusts to go up and make the the one on one catch, which Parker did. So it's not like two was uh, apprehensive. He's 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 rolling out. He's throwing downfield, evading sacks. You know, like you said. So he'll do it. It's more Chan Gailey needs to Gailey needs to give him a chance to call the damn play. Uh, agreed. He has to. He has to. He has to call those plays. He has to start calling those plays because you got you've got to expand how what this offense can do to you. You have to. So Saul mentioned it in the chat. News from what like two hours ago. Jordan Howard is gone. Oh goodbye. After. See you later. Adios. <laughs> Games. Uh, Jordan Howard, who the Dolphins signed to a two-year, $10 million extension, but four-plus guaranteed. None of next year's money guaranteed. So the Dolphins get $5 million off the cap next year, which is good for the team's prospects of, of spending a little bit of money next year. Jordan Howard averaged like 1.3, 1.2 yards per carry. I think it was like 28 carries for 33 total yards, but also four touchdowns, which is the most hilarious single-season stat line of any player ever is that stat line. Uh, He's now gone. Dolphins are left with Salvan Ahmed with Matt Breida, who may or may not play next week, Patrick Laird, and the newly acquired DeAndre Washington at running back. I thought this move spoke volumes. It's it's like, I I think Nick, I texted when it happened. It was the least surprising, surprising move ever. Uh, But I think it spoke volumes about uh, a, floors his confidence in the rest of the running back room, you know, despite the fact that none of them are stars, and B, the fact that this team will own up to its mistakes very quickly. Very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah and they're not going to keep guys around that aren't going to contribute. They're just, they're just not. If you're not going to help this team out, you're, you're going to be gone, and I think that's good, you know, because the, it's, it's important to have a roster of guys that can contribute at any moment, and if Jordan Howard's not getting it done, it doesn't matter how expensive he is you've got to do what you've got to do yeah and Howard now will get a chance to find a change of scenery elsewhere which uh certainly nice for him given the fact that he was not getting opportunities and I mean I think I think the writing was on the wall after uh the inactive list came out on Sunday when the Dolphins are down their top two running backs and they still healthy scratch their 10 million dollar uh acquisition five million dollar year acquisition from free agency that tells you everything you need to know about how they feel about him. I have no idea where this went wrong, by the way. Jordan Howard was never a speed demon. He was never a make you miss on the outside every time. I don't know what went wrong here, though, because he was still productive, both in Chicago and in Philly. Uh, yeah, so hopefully I, he's able to turn around elsewhere. Yeah, I hope, because I, I remember when he, they signed him, I was, I was really excited about it, because I thought he just brought something exciting to this team. So, um I mean, geez, yeah, for his sake, I hope, I hope things go well uh, for him. So we'll another uh, roster move, I guess you can call it, was just made. Zach Sealer signed an extension with the Dolphins through 2023. So they'll have him for the next three seasons after this one. Uh, Love this it. was uh, – this move to me, I, I really – I really not necessarily like the extension itself, although I do think Sealer adds a nice piece to the rotation on the defensive line, but it shows how much of a success rate that um, – Greer has had over the past year and a half because the Dolphins, historically, not a good success rate in free agency. But you look at the past one and a half seasons, you have not only Sealer, but you have Ogba, Lawson, Roberts, Van Noy, Byron Jones. The, the list goes on. The, the free agent acquisitions this team has made have hit and hit and hit and hit outside of the one we just discussed, which was a total bomb in Howard. Pretty much, or Eric Flowers, another big one that I just discussed. 
pretty much uh, a really high hit rate for, for Greer. So now I'm, I'm curious what you think. Looking forward to the next year, there's one name that screams and shouts at me as this person needs to be signed t- today. Do you think they sign Emmanuel Ogba to a large extension? He has one year left on this deal, or do you think they let him play it out and you see if he can match again next year? Because if he does, he's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. Oh, no, I think you give him the money. I think you give, you give him the money, money now? now. Yeah, because he just, I mean, listen, he could drop a little bit, so you might want to structure the deal um, to where you're not going to lose too much should, uh, should, he, should he see a dip in his production, which is very possible. Um, but I think just what you're seeing, like you're seeing a player that we have never seen. He's been in the league for a few years now, and he is playing better than he ever has. He, is, he's, he had a sack yesterday, correct? Right? Or, yeah, I wonder another sack was... yesterday. Okay, so he, he's had a, He's now only sack. trailing Jason Taylor as the most consecutive sacks in Dolphins history. Think Games about that. Sacks. That's really impressive. And he's, he's going to be in the same system that is letting him thrive in what should be a more improved defense next year when you bring in – because I'm assuming they're going to go defense with one of their two uh, first-round picks next year. Um, yeah, I give him money. I would give him money probably right now. And that's my feeling, too. I just – I get these warning bells that go off in my head. I think Kiko Alonso, I think Andre Branch, you know, these guys that came to the Dolphins, performed for a year, hadn't necessarily done it at that level before, and then you sign them to – Andre Branch was a a tailor-made example of that. Came to the Dolphins on like a one-year $3 million deal, and then they gave him $30 million the next year. But Andre Branch wasn't performing at this level, and and that was a – that was a different coaching staff that didn't know True. what they were doing. Clearly, very clearly didn't know what they were doing. So I don't think you can compare the two. I understand your hesitation. I, I totally get that. But this is not the same staff. This is not the same group of, of, of leaders uh, that can than, than what we had with the Adam Gase area. I feel like you can't compare anything to the Adam Gase area because <laughs> that was just a hot mess from every, from every angle. So I hear you. Um, but I, I just feel I feel like it's different. Brian Flores knows how to get the best out of his players, and I think Agba is a great example. That's a great point. Uh, it, the the regime that he's performing in is certainly very different. Though Greer is a common denominator, Tannenbaum is no longer here, and of course Adam Gase is no longer here. So uh, that's that's certainly a, that's certainly a fair point. Okay, I got to jump in like two or three minutes, so I uh, I want to end off by by asking you and the two of us discussing. The Dolphins are now sixth in the AFC. Dolphins are sixth in the AFC. You have the Ravens, the Raiders, the Colts, or Titans, depending on which one doesn't win that division, the Browns, uh, and I might be missing one. I think I hit all of them. Those are the teams that are currently vying for those two wildcard spots. The Dolphins coming off this convincing win over the Chargers. We talked about their next three games. The next four after that, though, are pretty daunting. Where do you see this team in terms of, I don't know if you want to put a label on it, like playoff contender or whatever you want to call it, where do you see this team in terms of how they stack up to the rest of the AFC right now? Like, do you think they've proven that they belong in that upper echelon conversation? And by upper echelon, I mean, you know, potentially beating the Bills to the division and being a serious playoff run contender, not just sneak into a spot. Nick, you're on mute. I don't know if I'll ask you there. Oh, my bad. I totally thought I was unmuted. And then <laughs> I remembered that the dog was barking and I had to shut her up. So my <laughs> Um, I definitely was talking to myself there for a second, which is weird <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, 
uh, I don't think they're going to limp into a wild card spot. I think that the way the schedule plays out, that they could easily, in three weeks, they could easily be nine and three, which if they're nine and three, then they're competing for the division. Um, I think, you know, we talked about it last week. I think division of division title would be nice. I think that the chances are higher that they take a wild card spot, but convincingly, I could see them convincingly take a wild card spot because the Browns defense is not very good. You don't really know what you're getting from the from Philip Rivers. You know, I just don't, that defense is fantastic, but Philip Rivers is just a he, you just don't know what you're getting. And let's be honest, um, you know, I think they could compete for the division. I say playoffs, yes. Division, I'm still gonna still gonna give that to the Bills as of now. Okay, I think that's fair. I'm I'm in the same boat. I honestly, I think that it's going to come down to, I, I really wouldn't be surprised rather if it came down to that Week 17 game, which, by the way, there is pretty much no other game on the Week 17 slate that looks like it's certainly going to be uh, for the division crown. I think there's Cowboys-Giants, which could hilariously be a for division crown in, in Week 17, considering no team in that division has more than three wins. But outside of that, it's it's Dolphins-Bills, and so I believe that's going to be the end, end up being the last game of the season, Sunday Night Football, so certainly keep a lookout for that. But when you talk about those five teams that are left for that spot, the Dolphins certainly belong in the top of that group conversation. So definitely the next three weeks will be uh, very telling to see if they can continue to roll and, and keep the consistency going. Um, I completely agree. And like I said, I, I have a hard, I know this was a shorter episode than, than usual, but thank you very much everyone who jumped on locker room to listen live. Thank you, Nick, as always for, for being here with me. And so that brings us to the end of the episode. We got Thursday. We're doing our national coverage all NFL episode as always here on Locker Room. Friday, we'll be previewing Miami's matchup with the Denver Broncos. So be sure to tune in live to those two things in this episode as always will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else you listen to your podcast in the next 24 hours. So until Thursday, thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, guys.